not going to start right off on um, uh, preaching, or I mean on, on, on Bible. I want to tell a few stories. I want to, every once in a while I go back through things that I've taught, and I say, you know what, I want to teach that again. And Wednesday nights give me that opportunity to go back and teach something again. And I was trying to get it all put back, and I had two sermons that had the same title, and I couldn't figure out what the difference was, so I opened them both up. And I was going to kind of squash them together because, in reality, they say pretty much the same thing, just two different ways. Then I realized I'd have 36 pages of notes, and, you know, I can't even hardly read a page without anything else in under two minutes, and so that would have been an hour, and I don't think y'all could have endured that. So, I'd like to, I don't know when it will be, but I'd like to preach part two of, of this message at some point and teach it if I can. Uh, next week is the United Pentecostal Church General Conference, and uh, uh, many, many people in our church will be attending that, those that work at our headquarters, our international headquarters, and then uh, myself, I'll be traveling down there, and there's uh, some business that takes place in the voting sessions, we vote in our, our, our organization's leaders, and then there's services that happen, and so I want you to be praying for that next week. Um, so I can't teach the second part next week, because I will be in, in uh, Indianapolis at our general conference. But there is a story told that I came across, perhaps it's a parable, but it comes in as a true story, of a Persian by the name of Ali Hafed. He owned a large farm that had orchards and grain, you know, fields of grain and gardens. And he was wealthy, especially in that time frame, very wealthy. One day, though, a person came and began to talk to Ali and, and talk to him about diamonds and, and, and how if you owned a diamond mine, you would have it made. And Hafed went to bed that night, a poor man. He went to bed that night poor because somewhere in his spirit he got discontented. He began to dream about diamond mines. He began to dream about what it would be if he owned a diamond mine. And he forgot about the orchards and fields of grain and gardens and the wealth that he had accumulated and he became so focused on finding a mine of diamonds. Story tells that he went and sold his farm. He sold his businesses. Everything he had, he sold to search for diamonds. He traveled the world over. In the course of his travel, he spent every last dime he had to find a diamond mine. He was poor. He was broken. He was defeated. And he ended up committing suicide, taking his own life because he never found what he was looking for. However, the day, one day, the man who had purchased Ali Hafid's farm took his camel to drink, and as he put his nose in the stream, the man saw a flash of light and pulled out a stone that reflected all of the hues of the rainbow. The man had discovered the first diamond of what would become the most magnificent mind of all history. And had Ali Hafid remained at home and dug in his own garden, he would have found acres and acres of diamonds. 
we get discontented and we, we search for things when everything we needed was right where we were. It leads to another story. Back in 1800s, uh, there was a 350-pound wrestler in Europe named Yusuf the Terrible Turk. He was 350 pounds of solid muscle. As Louis L'Amour would say, he was spring steel and rawhide. No flab on him. He was formidable. In the four years that he wrestled in, in, in uh, uh, England, he was impossible to beat. Held the undisputed title of, of champion there. And in 1898, he came to America, and there he challenged the United States champion to a match, a man by the name of Strangler Lewis. Now, Strangler, he was about my size. About 200 pounds. I might be a little bit bigger than that, but he was about 200 pounds. Kind of small. But he was the heavyweight, which is really sad for people to think that I'm a heavyweight. That's not fair. But whatever. I remember as a kid, I had a, an uncle. Uh, not, not, not by blood, but I had an uncle. And I remember finding out that he weighed 200 pounds. And I had just read in my probably National Geographic magazine that a baby elephant, when it was born, weighed 200 pounds. And I couldn't get that picture out of my head that he weighed as much as an elephant. Well, now I weigh as much as an elephant. It's not fair. But, but Strangler, regardless of his size, had defeated men much larger than himself because he had a signature move. He would get behind his opponent and put his massive arm around the neck and strangle them and and cut off their oxygen, and then once they passed out, he'd pin them. And, and so that Strangler Lewis was there, and so they got those two together, the England's champion and, and U.S.'s champion, Yusuf the Terrible Turk, and Strangler Lewis. But when Strangler met Yusuf, he found himself faced with a problem because Yusuf didn't have a neck. One commentator said his head went straight to his shoulders and there was nothing in between. Strangler Lewis couldn't find a hold. He couldn't get under the chin. The chin matched the neck, you know, the, the, uh, the chest. He tried, he tried, he tried. He couldn't do it. And it wasn't long before the, the mass of a man, Yusuf, pinned Strangler Lewis to the mat. After winning the championship, the terrible Turk had a purse of $5,000 all paid in gold coins. He wanted to get back to England. He wrapped the championship belt around his waist. He stuffed the gold into his belt, and he boarded the next ship back to Europe. But the story is told that halfway through, a storm came up, and the boat that he was on began to sink. Yusuf tried to get into a lifeboat, and he fell in the water, and he was holding on to the lifeboat, and they were trying to get him in, but he's a big man himself, 350 pounds, Plus, he had $5,000 worth of gold coins and a big championship belt. They tried in vain to, to pull him into the boat. They couldn't. They said, let it go. Let it go. It's not going to help you. And he refused to let go of the belt or the gold. And he sunk to the bottom of the ocean, never to be seen again. I want to just preach to you a very simple message. It's one I have preached before. but I was reminded of it and felt that we ought to just revisit it learning to be content, learning to be content. And so if you have your Bibles, would you turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 8, and I'm going to read it in the King James. I know a lot of times I typically read in the English Standard, but let me read in the King James, and then I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation because 
Every once in a while, I like the simplicity of the New Living Translation. So uh, tonight, we're going to read quite a bit of Scripture because I want you to see how it all fits together. If thou seest the oppression of the poor and the violent perverting of judgment and justice in a province, marvel not at the matter. For he that is higher than the highest regardeth, and there be higher than they. And moreover, the profit of the earth is for all. The king himself is served by the field, and he that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saying the beholding of them is with their eyes? And the sleep of a laboring man is rich, whether he sleep little or much. The abundance of the rich shall not suffer him to sleep. There's a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely riches kept for their owners thereof to their hurt. But those riches perished by evil travail, and he begatteth a son, and there was nothing in his hand. He came forth of his mother's womb, and naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor which he may carry away with his hand. And this also is a sore evil, that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that had labored for the wind? All his days also he eateth in darkness, and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. Behold that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of his labor when he taketh under the sun all the days of his life which God giveth him, for it is his portion. And also every man to whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. He shall not remember much in the days of his life because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. Ecclesiastes is very interesting. Ecclesiastes, so, so let's put it into perspective, so, or, uh, uh, Proverbs, Proverbs for the most part was written by King Solomon, and, and there's a few Proverbs that are, 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 are uh, attributed to other writers, but the, the whole uh, majority of, of Proverbs is written by King Solomon, the, the wisest man, richest man in, in, in history, and, and I get my, in my mind, I think of it, and commentators will bear this out. Solomon sat down and he wrote a, a journal or he wrote a, a, a book and he wanted to give it to his sons and he wanted to be able to say you know listen I, I've, I've lived a long life I've, I've gone through a lot of things I've done good things I've done stupid things and I've written it all down and so you know at, at the end of his life he can hand his son a book and say there's good teaching in here there's Proverbs and so if you read Proverbs you find that it's really just a bunch of one liners that, that, that kind of you know help you Ecclesiastes is a little bit different. The book of Ecclesiastes is a man who has had great wealth, great success, but yet also experienced some great failure, uh, messed up some crucial things in his life and relationship with God. And Ecclesiastes is him at the end of his life trying to, to balance out everything and so that's where you get, and I'm not going to preach about Ecclesiastes, but that's where you get Solomon saying, it's all vanity. And, and I don't mean, you know, vanity like, like pride in that sense, but it's, it's all for nothing. You, you live, you die, the, the sun comes up, the sun goes down, it just, what's it worth? And, and you go through it, and, and I'm not going to preach it, I've preached it before, but go read the end of, of Ecclesiastes and you find the answer to what your life ought to be. Y'all not sum up your life by how much money you have in the bank. Don't sum up your life by how big your house is or bass boat is or RV or motorcycle or, or what purse you carry. Don't, don't, I don't care if you have those things, but don't let that be what
what sums your life up. But in this, Ecclesiastes, he began to write, and now let me give you a paraphrased version, a little bit of the New Living Translation, maybe a little of my paraphrase. Don't be surprised if you see a poor person being oppressed by the powerful. If justice is being miscarried throughout the land, just understand that every official is under orders from the hires up and the matters of justice get lost in red tape and bureaucracy. Even the kings milk the land for his own profit. But here's where I want you to focus, verse 10. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless it is to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. I mean, if you need to see that in a perfect picture, go look at anybody that wins the lottery or look at any sports uh, uh, person that, you know, let's take NFL. Look at the NFL draft when that, that first, that, that number one draft pick of the year, he hasn't even played a down in football or in, in the NFL, and he gets this huge paycheck and watch all of his, his friends and relatives come and they want a piece of the pie. More money you have, more people want to help you spend it. And, and what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much, but the rich seldom get a new, new uh, good night's sleep. And then he said, another problem I have, hoarding riches harms the saver. Money's put into risky investments that turn sour where everything is lost and there's nothing left to pass on to one's children. We come to the end of our lives naked and empty-handed as we were on the as we were the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. My wife tells me her dad used to say all the time, there's you never see a U-Haul on the back of a hearse. I actually have a picture of that though, so I have at least seen a picture of a U-Haul on the back of the hearse. I'm not exactly why or or, or what the whole reason was. People leave this world no better off than when they came. It's like their hard work was for nothing, like working for the wind. Throughout their lives, they live under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. But I've noticed one thing at least that's good. Now watch this. It's good for people to eat, drink, and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life that God has given them, to accept their lot in life. It's a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. To enjoy your work and accept your lot in life, this is indeed a gift from God. God keeps people, such people so busy enjoying life, they have no time to brood over the past. Now, if you were really paying attention as we read that, see, you, you ought to really get it because they say to teach, if you'll read it and somebody read it for you, you doubly uh, uh, retain that. The wisest man in the Bible, perhaps the richest man, for sure the richest man in the Bible, maybe the richest man in all, all of history. That's what he says at the end. Enjoy life. Enjoy what God's given you. But learn to be content. There was a businessman sitting on the beach in a small Brazilian village. Businessman watched as a little boat began to come to shore there a Brazilian fisherman was there and in the boat was quite a few good looking large fish and the businessman asked and said hey what how long did it take you to catch those fish well, not very long a couple hours well why don't you stay at sea longer and catch more fish 
man said, well, this is all the fish I need for us to eat. I don't need any more. My family, this is enough to feed my whole family. What do you do for the rest of the day, the, the businessman asked. Well, the fisherman said, I usually wake up early in the morning, go out to sea, I, I catch a few fish, and then I come back, I play with my kids in the afternoon, I take a nap with my wife, and evening comes, I join my buddies in the village, we play guitar, we sing, we dance throughout the night. The businessman looked at the fisherman and said, I have a PhD in business, and I could help you become a more successful person. From now on, you should spend as much time in the sea as you can, try to catch as many fish as possible, and sell the extra fish at the when you've saved up another, enough money, you buy a bigger boat, and then you catch even more fish, then you buy more boats, you get uh, people helping you, you set up your own company, you can even at some point buy your own production plant, and you can can the fish and get the fish ready, then you have your own distribution network, and then you can move out of this little village, go to San Paulo, where you can set up a headquarters to manage your other branches, and the businessman took a breath, and the fisherman said well then what well then you can live like a king in your own house and when the time is right you can go public and you can float your shares in the stock exchange and you'll be rich and the fisherman said well after that what well then you can finally retire you can move to a house by the fishing village wake up early in the morning catch a few fish then return home to play with the kids have a nice afternoon nap with your wife when the evening comes you can go to the, with your buddies in the, in the village and play guitar, sing and dance throughout the night and the fisherman said isn't that what I'm doing now? sometimes in life we get so fixated on stuff and we don't learn to be content so if you have your Bibles Exodus chapter 20 Rather than me just tell you stories, let's look and see what the Word of God says. Exodus chapter 20, it's going to be familiar to you, but just walk with me and maybe we see it in a different light. God spake all of these words saying, I am the Lord thy God, which has brought thee out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down themselves thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. I visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. And I show mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep, me, keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain remember the Sabbath day keep it holy six days shalt thou labor and do thy work but the seventh is a Sabbath unto the Lord thy God in it thou shalt not do any work nor thy son nor thy daughter nor thy manservant nor thy maidservant nor thy cattle nor stranger that is within thy gates for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that was in them and rested on the seventh day where for the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that be thy neighbors it's interesting when we come to the the uh, Ten Commandments 
we don't focus a lot on that 10th commandment. We'll focus on have no other God before thee. We'll focus on, you know, don't, don't honor the Sabbath day. We'll focus on that, but it's that 17th, or, or, or verse 17, the 10th commandment, that we ought to uh, focus on because in that we are introduced to covetousness. A coveting heart, one writer by the name of Keith Walker said, the covenant, coveting heart is not innocent. In God's eyes, it's corrupt and it's corrosive. It's interesting because if I asked you right now, do you covet? I would think most of us would probably say no. I don't covet. I, I'm not coveting, you know, my, my neighbor's house. I, I'm not coveting that. But when you really begin to research it, you'll find that probably more often than not, we do. So there's a few things that, that happens with, uh, with coveting. And, and, and if I could say coveting is the opposite of learning to be content. Coveting is I'm not content, I want more. So first off, if you, if you have a coveting heart, it, it, it disregards the law of God. So if I said, if you are, are worshiping idols, is that okay? You would emphatically say, no, God's word says don't worship idols. The response is God's word also says don't covet. Just because it's last in the list of the Ten Commandments does not uh, make it any less important. In fact, as I begin to look and see, search and read, it kind of tells me that maybe that last one has something to do with all of the other ones. So again, let's give you a checkoff list. I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but let's just look at our lives. How many of you ever put money or possessions ahead of God? How many of you have ever bowed at the altars of materialism and greed, but refused to bow at the altar of the Lord? How about those that have blasphemed the name of the Lord in order to acquire things? Or have you ever desecrated the Lord's day to make money? Now listen, I'm not going to throw you under the bus if you've got to work a Sunday here or there. That's not what this is about. It's an attitude that's deeper and darker than that. I've got people who have looked at me in, 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 in my tenure as pastor and they've told me, you know, I just need a little bit more money in my life, pastor, and so I'm going to take this, this job, I have to work Sundays and Wednesdays, but if I can just work a year and, and raise up enough money and then I'll be, I'll be fine, I can pay off a few bills, I can pay this, and, and then I'll get back to church and get back to God, and people who have done that, I have, Brother Harpo, I've never seen them come back to church, because they start going down a place, they put their job ahead of God. What about parents that are treated poorly and cast aside by children too busy making money to be bothered by them? Or honor your father and mother. I could put in a whole other stuff. How about when mom and dad pass away and you watch the kids fight over what was left? See, it's, it's amazing how that covetous goes. Uh, or, or, or how many people are dead today because somebody wanted something that belonged to them? How many marriages are torn apart. One preacher said it this way. I don't know who it was, but I like what he said. He said, he, he said, so many marriages fall apart because he was so caught up in earning his salt, he neglected his sugar. Let me say it again so you can get it. 
he got so caught up earning his salt, he neglected his sugar. A coveting heart is usually the motivation, in fact, I would say is always the motivation behind adultery because coveting and lust are first cousins. Stealing, thou shalt not steal. I don't think I have to explain that. Stealing is the result of a covetous heart. And often people lie about others and gossip about them because they're envious, they're covetous of that person's life. There's a lot the Bible has to say with learning to be content. Earlier I made the statement, or we read the Bible where it said that the more money you make, the more ways there are to spend it. One time, I don't know if I've, I don't know if I've ever relayed this story, but one time Brother Graham who was my pastor at that time happened to be coming this way and he hollered at me he said hey you know I'll stop by and say hello I said well, come on in you know so he came into the office and he's sitting there and and it just so happened to be a week or so after our business meeting and I had the still still on my little desk I had our our financial report and and he asked and I I give him permission he's my mentor he's my pastor he said you mind if I look through that I said absolutely so he looked through it and I was joking because they have a larger church in our church and I said I said, yeah, I said, you know, you see what, what our church brings in in a, in a whole year. That's probably what your church brings in on a Sunday, you know. And you got it made. You are a rich church. And he laughed. He said, Brandon, let me teach you something. The bigger the church, the more problems. The more money that comes in, the more places you spend the money. Our air conditioner, when it goes out, it's $100,000. Your air conditioner goes out, it's $8,000. You know, it kind of put things into perspective. That more money doesn't mean more blessings, it sometimes means more problems. And so it is that John the Baptist began to preach. And so, again, let's see what the Bible has to say. John the Baptist began to preach. The word of God came to John, son of Zacharias. He went around the country of Jordan. He preached the baptism of repentance by the remission of sins. But watch how he chooses to preach. He looks at the multitude that's coming forth to be baptized. And, and instead of going, oh, let's have a great big baptismal service. Let's, you know, this is awesome. He kind of he says, hey, who, who told you that you ought to come and repent? Who warned you to free, flee from the wrath to come? I don't want to just baptize you. You better bring fruits worthy of repentance. Don't say, oh, you're of Abraham's children, so you're good. No, you come and bring fruits of repentance. And so this is what he said. The people go, well, how do we do that? How do we bring fruits of repentance? He said, well, he that hath two coats, let him give one away to someone who doesn't have any. If you have meat, give to someone who doesn't. The publicans, that's the tax collectors, they came and said, what should we do? He says, well, quit charging people more than what you should. If the law says they, you need 10% of their wages, quit telling them you need 11 and you pocket the rest. When the soldiers came and said, what should we do? He said, don't do violence to any man, neither accuse any falsely. And then he makes this statement, and be content with your wages. That word holds a lot of meanings. Paul perhaps said it best in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned whatsoever state I am in, therewith I, I, I want to be content. That's what we're going to focus on the second part of this message. 
second part of this message, whenever I can get back to it and God releases me to teach it, we're going to go through, I believe, this entire chapter of Philippians chapter 4 and really see what, not just take one verse out, but why could Paul say, I've learned no matter what state I'm in to be content? Friend, Paul had a lot of states. I mean, he was boiled in oil, he was shipwrecked, he was, you know, stoned, he... He saw great revival, he saw great miracles, and then they tried to kill him, and they tried to cast him out, and they, 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 they burned him with oil. I mean, you know, you name it. He had a lot of states, but he said, no matter where I'm at, I've learned to be content. Or what about Jesus' preaching? Luke chapter 12 and verse 13. And one of the company came to him and said, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or divider over you? And and Jesus said to them, Take heed, beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not of the abundance of things which he possesseth. So he was quick to say, Your life ought not consist, the, the, the meaning of your life and what matters of your life ought not be the abundance of things which you possess. And he tells a parable. Ground of a certain man brought forth plentifully. And he thought to himself, he says, what should I do? I don't have any room to take up this, this, the fruits. And he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and I'll build greater barns and there I will bestow all of my fruits and my goods. And let me stop right there and say that's not the problem. Okay? I think In that one instance, he was being a good steward of what God had given him. It would be pointless to to let all of the the blessing of God's bountiful uh, harvest go to waste. And so he said, I need need to build, God's blessed me. i got to build a little bit bigger barn. My business is growing. There's nothing wrong with that. But it was that next thing, next statement when he said, I will say to my soul, soul you have much goods laid up for many years take thine ease eat drink and be merry you don't have to worry about anything you have it made you have arrived and God said thou fool this night thy soul shall be required of thee and then whose shall these things be which thou hast provided and so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God and he said to his disciples therefore I say unto you take no thought don't worry about what you're going to eat neither for your body what you put on for life is more than the meat and the body is more than the raiment or the clothes consider the ravens how they neither sow nor reap which neither have storehouse nor barns but yet God feedeth them how much more are ye better than the fowls and which of you by taking a thought can add a statue to his stature one cubit and if you can't be able to do the thing which is least why do you take thought of the Consider the lilies, how they grow. They don't work. They don't spin, uh, you know, like, like spinning thread and, and things like that. They, 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 yet I say unto you that Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So then if God so clothed the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow cast in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? Seek not what you shall eat, what you shall drink, Neither be ye of a doubtful mind, for these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that you have need of these things, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God. And all these things 
shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that you have, give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old. A treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I've showed you in the Old Testament what, what Solomon said. I've shown you what Jesus John the Baptist and Jesus have taught, but let's look at the New Testament. Romans 7. What shall we say is the law of sin? God forbid, nay, yea, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law said, Thou shalt not covet. And sin took occasion by the commandment and wrought in me all manner of cuspience. Cuspience is a really fancy, expensive word, if you will, that just means deep desire and covetousness. When God said, thou shalt not covet, the law said, thou shalt not covet, sin goes, you know what we ought to do, Brandon? We ought to covet. It's when you tell your kids, do not touch the cookies. What do the kids do? They're fixated on the cookies. They, if you wouldn't have said anything, they'd have forgot about the cookies. But now that you've said, don't touch the cookies, they hang over them. <laughs> cookies. <laughs> and then they get themselves in trouble because they're eating the cookies, and then they get in trouble, and, you know, it, it rolls in you. Covetousness, it, 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 it's there. It's that deep desire. And so we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and, and I'm not going to read it all, but let me just show you 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. We dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. They measure themselves by themselves. They compare themselves by themselves, and they are not wise. Can I just help you for a moment? This is not in my notes, Brother Sorrels. This is free. I didn't even plan on saying this. But we are living in a day where... If, if ever there has been generations that have compared themselves to others and measured themselves by others, that's where we are right now. Social media has become an incredible way to do what 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says don't do. I don't compare myself to others. I don't want to measure myself to others. And it says in verse 17, if you are going to glory, if you do feel like you need to put something out there, if you do, do need to show somebody what God or, or what has happened in your life, what blessings have come, he says in verse 17, but he that glory, let him glory in the Lord. Let me go back to Philippians chapter 4 verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned in whatever state I am in, there to be content. A man began to look around and saw other friends of his building houses and decided his house wasn't enough. His friends had larger homes. His friend had more luxurious homes. So he listed his house with a real estate agency. And... Uh, uh, he, he was going to sell it. He wanted to purchase a more impressive home. And shortly after, he was reading the classified section of the paper. He saw an ad for the house. It was perfect. He called his realtor. He said, I've got this house. This is the house I want. It has everything I want to do. And, and the realtor's trying to figure out which house he's talking about. And finally, the realtor said, dude, that's the same house you're selling. It's your house. 
that's the house that suddenly you got all excited about, the one you already put on the market. I'm not going to spend a lot of time, and I'm, I'm getting done. Sister Mary, help, help this, this crowd out and come play so they know I'm done. Because we're going to come back and talk about this a little bit later. But in that same verse that says, I have learned to be content whatever state I'm in. That same chapter, Paul also says, I can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth me. And in that same chapter, this verse is found again, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Hebrews chapter 13 says, let brotherly love continue. Take a few verses, walk down to, to verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Or what Paul said to 1 Timothy in chapter 6 and verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. The love of money is the root of all evil. Some have coveted after they've erred from the faith. But flee those things, follow not money, but follow righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art called, and hath professed a good profession of many witnesses. Keep that commandment without spot. And then verse 17, he says, now listen. Timothy, there's going to be those that has been blessed, so charge, tell those that are rich in this world. Charge them that they not be high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, which giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, ready to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come. They may hold on eternal life. There's a few things that you can pull out of that. Don't become proud of your wealth. Wealth is not even just all about money, by the way. You can be extremely rich and not have a dime in the bank. Don't be proud of it. It's, you're no better than anyone else. Don't put your trust in your money. Don't put your trust in your thing. The security is not going to be in your bank account. The security ought not be in your job. The security ought not be in your IRA. The security ought to be in Christ Jesus. Because all those other things, they can pass away just like that. Stock market can crash. Your job can stop. And if God has blessed you, use it for His glory. Be cheerful. Give cheerful. If, if covetousness is the desire to get, the opposite of that, the antithesis of that should be give. Give. Could you stand today? I don't know much. I have not done any study. This is something that I, I came across. Howard Hughes, the great million billionaire. He wanted so much more. He went to Hollywood, became a filmmaker and a star. He just was a debased person. Everything he could indulge in, he indulged in. He 
wanted thrills. He built and piloted the fastest aircraft in the world. He, he wanted power, so he manipulated governments and, 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 and political favors, dealt those so that two U.S. presidents became basically his pawns. He always wanted more. But they say that man ended his life in a pitiful sight. He ended it in darkness. He lived in a home. He didn't want any light. His arms covered with needle marks from drug addictions. Fingernails were inches long, curled. His teeth were black and rotten. His hair to his waist, beard, as long as he lived like a hermit. He wore rubber gloves all the time. He never would leave his apartment, and he died 95 pounds as a junkie because he wasn't content. And in his desire for more, he lost everything. So I tell you today, this very hot, by the way, September of 2019, learn to be content with what God has given you. 